Hey, and welcome back to the Full Metal Pod. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. How was your weekend, Jimmy? Uh, it feels like it's it was a slow, but long, like a slow, short weekend. Uh, or I don't know if that makes sense, or week. It was dragging, and then it, it was suddenly over with. I've had weeks like that many times where all of a sudden the days just seem longer, but then... You, you fall see like you fall asleep on Friday night and it's all of a sudden Monday morning or whatever. It's just annoying because it's like oh, I didn't accomplish as much as I wanted to. Yeah, I feel like yeah the same. I ha- I didn't accomplish as much as I wanted to, but then I look at my checklist and there's not much on it. I need to I need to pick up a hobby or do something. There's a lot of fun things to do. I mean. Uh, I mean, I don't know what kind of hobbies you'd be interested in, but I know one thing that I started... Well, you already cook a lot. I know I've started cooking as kind of a hobby. I've done a little more reading here and there and just kind of building stuff too, which is nice. And of course, I have the new dog, Winry. She's, we've been together for about three months now, so hanging out with her. Uh, I don't know. Do you like building things? I do enjoy building things. Um more of like, oh, I know you know that I like to, um, anytime I go to a convention, I like to cosplay. So I love building a prop. So I love building props more than I love building an actual costume. So prop building, maybe maybe I can build a prop for something. Yeah, I've heard about some people doing like virtual cosplay events and stuff. Because cosplayers still want to cosplay, even if there's not a an in-person event or something, or people might go to a park or something, socially distance, have all of their fun there. Doing this podcast has made me realize like an old costume idea that I wanted to do, which was I have always wanted to cosplay as Al and find a way to make the head removable and have it look like no one's inside the suit. So maybe I could start working on something like that. Huh? Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um, I would, I'm trying to, like, I'm playing it in my head right now, how that would work. The one thing I think that could possibly help is if you put, like, not super visible, but eye holes, it kind of in the chest area, or maybe, like, right below the neck part, and then you can remove the head, and, you know, it looks like you're seeing through the head, but you're not, but obviously you're still seeing, so that might be one way. Yeah, just uh, the first time I ever saw Al watching this anime, I I was definitely drawn to like that is a costume that I would love to pull off one day. I know I've seen people do uh, Al at conventions, so you know maybe it's my turn to take a crack at it. I say go for it. That would be super fun, and it would be one of the best characters. Who would you want to cosplay as from the series? Uh, probably Scar. I really like his character, and uh, I like his redemption arc later. Uh, I think it would be pretty cool. It would be pretty easy, though. Just kind of paint necks on my face. Maybe if I really want to get into it, color my hair and put in some red contact lenses. Uh, but it seems like it'd be pretty straightforward. Uh, I guess maybe the more difficult part would be to get the tattoo right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would take a long time painting that on you. 
Oh, I could also cheat. Maybe somebody created a sleeve that I can just put on or something like that. Or little, uh, like those little tattoos you get in the, remember like the arcade or whatever. And it's like 25 cents or something, little temporary tattoo that would wash off in an hour or something like that. Oh, yeah. I always wanted to try to give myself a sleeve as a kid using those. I would get four or five and put them on and try to kind of make like my own arm sleeve. That's one way to do it. I never did. I only did maybe like one on my hand or one on my upper shoulder area or something like that. I never got that creative. But for Scar, I might do that. Well, I think I think we got a plan for our next convention or whenever we take this show on the road. Exactly. Hey, maybe we can get a little booth or something for Comic-Con 2021 or whenever Comic-Con comes back. Oh, for sure. That would be exciting. It would be. And then we can meet all of our fans. And I'm always looking forward to buying new Full Metal Alchemist gear, too. So it's usually I have bought different things at different comic conventions. But one thing that's always consistent is if I find something cool that's from the Full Metal Alchemist world, I will always buy it. That's true. I Well, at any convention, I always end up with too much art. I love going to Artist Alley and... I kind of I love so many different animes and genres of stuff that I always find art that I love. And I, I usually end up with like six or seven prints that I don't know what to do with when I get home. Yes. And you also walk home with a uh, Mohinder action figure. Oh, yes. That's one of my prized possessions. Probably the best character in the show Heroes. Yes, uh, for context, when we were at Dallas Fan Days, I don't know, was it 2015, 2016? There was a booth and they were selling show or selling uh they were selling action figures from the TV show Heroes and they had a Mohinder action figure, but the thing is it was season 1 Mohinder, not season 3 plus where he actually has powers. It's when he's just like the regular scientist. Yeah, this is almost like cab driver Mohinder action figure which exactly yeah like didn't it just come with a like a messenger bag and a laptop as his as his add-ons oh yeah which are the perfect accessories for any action figure exactly that's how he's gonna save the world he's gonna save it with with his computer and his messenger bag i mean it worked with jeff goldblum and and independence day so why not true i miss heroes i wish that show was still around and good yeah that first season was amazing but then it dropped off really fast and then they tried to bring it back i think it was called heroes reborn or something like that they tried to bring it back maybe five years after it was canceled and it was just it started off good like the first two episodes seemed promising and then it just went off the rails and was terrible. So, yeah, if they could bring it back, but bring it back decently. I just don't know that it would do well right now, though, because it was kind of novel when it first came out. But we have kind of have superhero fatigue and we have the boys and we have all these other superhero shows. I, I don't know that what the world needs heroes right now. Oh, the world always needs heroes. Fair point. Let's just give it to Netflix. Netflix would do a good job, probably. That's a good point. 
All right, let's jump right into this podcast, episode eight. Man, we are we are just tearing through this. We're in season two now. And let's see, our first episode here is episode 14, Those Who Lurk Underground. Just to recap, first Mustang arrives to his new job in Central. We see all the people around him are gossiping about him and how he is, man, he's so young to be promoted so high and you know, he must know somebody. He must have great connections. And he seems overall pretty pleased by this. He goes to check in with the Fuhrer, but Fuhrer's not in. He is doing an inspection in the Southern HQ. We see him stumble upon the Devil's Nest. Now we catch up with where we left off. Greed is trying to fight, or getting ready to fight, rather, Ed and Azumi. But Greed decides that he doesn't really want to fight a child and a housewife, so he just runs. The other Chimera are running away with Al to later meet up with Greed. But then Greed runs into them, and then he runs into the Fuhrer. Well, now things get interesting because Greed's rightfully thinking, hey, why is this powerful guy here hanging out in the sewers. Why is the most powerful man of the country hanging out in the sewers? The Fuhrer just kind of nonchalantly mentions that he's 60 years old. His body doesn't work the way it used to. So he just wants to end this as fast as possible. Greed and the Fuhrer begin to fight and it just becomes clear that Greed is incredibly outclassed by the Fuhrer. The Fuhrer is just able to take him no problem, slice his arms off, all of that stuff. In the mean, in meanwhile, they're still trying to escape with Al. Armstrong goes toe-to-toe with Roa, who was the bear chimera from the previous episode. And the soldiers are killing the other chimera that they come across. We jump back to the Fuhrer fighting with Greed. And then the Fuhrer reveals something very interesting about himself. His eye patch falls off, and his eye under the eye patch has the Ouroboros tattoo on it, which means he is a homunculus. He has the ultimate eye. So in the same way that Greed has the ultimate shield, the Fuhrer has the ultimate eye, which I think it gives him the ability to kind of see things more clearly, and it gives him an edge in fighting. Uh, so Greed, Greed's just taking a beating. It's just, it's not even close. We see the Fuhrer come up to him and say that he's killed him 15 times already. How many times does he have to kill him until he stays down? Dolcetto and Roa show up. Dolcetto being the... Uh, Dog, human, uh, dog Chimera. And they decide to try to take on the Fuhrer. And needless to say, the Fuhrer wins. Martell is hidden inside of Alphonse. Martell is the uh, snake Chimera. And she is trying to escape. Or she's trying to join the fight. But Al's trying to keep her safe. Because the Fuhrer is clearly showing that he's ruthless. The fear drops. Uh, the fear drops greed, and while greed is you know mo- uh, moaning on the ground and healing, he approaches Alphonse. The uh, the fear does and asks if he's all right, if they hurt him or anything like that. 
Martel slips her arm through Alphonse's arm and grabs the Fuhrer by the throat. The Fuhrer then slides his sword into Alphonse's armor and kills Martel. It appears that that action, for some reason, having somebody die inside of his armor, triggers his memory and he's able to remember what happened when he went through the gate. Well, well, they opened up Alphonse while he was passed out and removed Martel because, you know, he can't have a dead body in his armor. And this kind of reveals to the Fuhrer that there's something up with the brothers. The Fuhrer asks them if they gave any information agreed, and they said no. And then he asks what happened to their body, but he kind of let it go. He just asked when they wouldn't respond, he just laughed it off and walked away. But then we go ahead and see the ending of this episode. We start to see things close out where the brothers kind of piece together that there's got to be something deeper going on. So they needed to, to dig deeper into the government to figure out what's happening. At the same time, we also see the Fuhrer meet with Azumi and try to convince her to join the state alchemy program. She says that she is just a bedridden housewife. She is not of value to them. Uh, but it's clear that she has some disdain for state alchemy and the Fuhrer after he leaves. And then we see probably what's one of the biggest reveals so far in the show. We see Central City, and then we see what appears to be underground Central City, and the Fuhrer is there. The Fuhrer is speaking with the other homunculi, Lust, Gluttony, and Envy, and it appears that he has Greed caught, and Greed is chained up to what looks like a pillar that's that is uh, suspended in the air. There's a lot of bickering between the, the three of them. Apparently, Greed's been missing for a hundred years. And eventually, we meet their leader, their father, their creator. And he asks if Greed is willing to join him again. And Greed says no. He has no interest in being a foot soldier. So, Father decides to melt him, dropping him into what looks like a lava pit or molten steel or something to that effect. And he melts Greed and returns him back to a, this, a, what looks like a Philosopher's Stone that Father then consumes. So, there's clearly a bigger plan at play here. The Fuhrer returns to his home life, and he just seems like a very domestic guy talking to his wife and kid, and the episode ends. So, a lot happened in this one. Tell me some of your thoughts, Jimmy. Well, my first thought is Armstrong is back. I'm excited. I love seeing me some Armstrong. Yes, he was back, and he was a pretty good fighter in this one. I liked how he uh, used alchemy to tr to transmute the guy's, uh, the Roa's hammer into a statue of himself. I was like pure that was pure uh, Armstrong right there. And then we learned a lot. I learned a lot about the Chimera. I wasn't sure, but they can transform into more of an animal style. I didn't know that was a thing. I feel like every time I meet a, we meet a Chimera in the show, we're learning something more about what they can do. Or do you think it's just specific to this gang of Chimeras that we meet? Because, uh, 
they kind of morphed into more of animals when they started fighting. Yeah, they do. They they have this ability. Like they don't turn into total animals. Like we don't see them go from a human to a bear or a human to a pig, but they do take on more of those animals' characteristics while maintaining a somewhat bipedal human form. But yeah, it's it is interesting, and I'm going to venture to say all of them could do it to some extent. I'm sure some could probably do it more than others. Like, I don't know, we never see Martell do it, but I don't think she would just lose her limbs or whatever if she took on a more snake-like feature. Yeah, I, I was very upset about that character. Kind of, in a way, just uh, throwing away the the sacrifice her two friends made for her because they gave up their lives so she could stay safe, but uh, she didn't really take advantage of that. No, she was just really angry, understandably so, watching her friends get killed, that all she could think about is getting revenge on the Fuhrer, but like we saw with pretty much everybody else who went up against him, they were outclassed. And now that we know that he is a homunculi, do you think that is why he's so good at at what he does? Because of his eye? Now, they don't really spell it out all that much. They just hint at it. So at first I thought, well, maybe his eye gives him the ability to see the future. But I noticed that most of the homunculi, even though what they do is kind of extravagant and really bizarre and stuff, like Greed being able to turn his body into a shield or whatever, it still seems bound by physical limits. So I don't know that the Fuhrer would actually have the ability to see the future, but I think the eye gives him like clarity. Like it slows down everything that is happening around him and he's able to kind of see everything as individual components and figure out exactly what he needs to do to win a fight. Does every homunculi have an ultimate something? Because I, I f- we're just figuring this out in the last two episodes. Greed has the ultimate shield. Uh, Wrath or Fear, uh, the Fear of Bradley has the ultimate eye. Do the others have ultimate things? Like, does Lust have, like, ultimate fingers? Like, I don't know. Yeah, Lust is said to have the ultimate spear. Oh, That's okay. what he mentioned, calls it in that episode. Uh, and I guess it's... It's an interesting name, I guess, because I don't know that I would call it a spear. I'd call it maybe Ultimate Claws, because she could just make her fingers super sharp and and extend them and cut into people, kind of like a Freddy Krueger or something. But, but yeah, she has Ultimate Spear. I'm not sure about the other ones, though, off the top of my head, but I guess we'll find out as time goes on. Uh, but yeah, we learned that Fuhrer's homunculi name is Wrath, so he is the embodiment of anger, and we learn that they are controlled by a guy named Father. Not not controlled in the sense that, you know, they are a hive mind and his thoughts control theirs. We clearly see that's not the case because Greed rebelled, but the homunculi are clearly working for Father, and by seeing, like, the language they use, the, the saying create and I'm from you and whatnot. And then what we see with greed being turned into a philosopher's stone and consumed, and Father says something to the extent of, 
uh, you you're going to become a part of me again. So it seems like somehow the homunculi are an extension of father. Some like he, I don't know, like he he somehow created them from his own body. His there there's something more to him. I'm trying to go back in my notes and remember, but didn't when the homunculi say that they're really old? Was it Greed that said he's like 200 years old or he's more than 100 yeah, years old? Yep, Greed mentioned that he was 200 years old. Yeah. So does that mean Father is over 200 years old? Almost oh, definitely. If he created them, he has to be super old. Okay. Then that probably cancels my theory because I was like, a father looks like they're the Elric brothers' dad. Because that was my theory at first. Because I don't know, but then the characters look like each other all the time. So, but now that I'm knowing that he's over two hundred years old, then now I'm really not feeling that theory anymore. But I was and pure. A wrath is like a baby homunculi, right? Because they're like he's because greed didn't know who he was, so he must have been recently created. Wrath mentions that he's sixty years old, and they made a there was a kind of a small comment in there about how wrath being able to age normally like a normal human is not something that's common amongst homunculi. Like yeah, we he see greed kind of get confused or flabbergasted when he says, what, you made a homunculi who can age like a normal human? That's impossible. So, yeah, most of these homunculi are ageless, but I'm not so sure about uh, the Fuhrer. Uh, maybe he isn't as ageless. Like, maybe there was a special procedure they went through to create him so that he can blend into humanity a little easier. Yeah, and is this, like, child half homunculi? Or I don't... This is there's a lot of questions. This episode does open like a Pandora's box of questions that we're going to have to answer. I also found it very sad because uh, the we see after um, uh, they're cleaning out Al's body and Armstrong's talking to the brothers, and the brothers mentioned Hughes and how they told Hughes some information. And then Armstrong does not inform them that Hughes has been murdered. It kind of hit me in the, you know, the heart that he can't bear to tell them that one of their closest allies, not more than an ally, one of their closest friends was murdered. And it could have been because of the information that they told him. Yep. Um, that would be my guess as to why, because I'm sure... You know, as a soldier, Armstrong's used to losing allies, unfortunately, and he's probably used to informing people, but he probably realizes that the brothers will take it upon themselves or will, will bury the, uh, carry that burden if they learn that he died investigating something that they had told him about because now they would they would feel incredibly guilty about that. Yeah, it's just... It's kind of interesting. It's it. It felt like he was gonna tell them, and then he decided not to. And I wonder if Armstrong knows more than he's letting on as well, because he's not a part of Mustang's kind of Mustang's team. So I wonder what information he knows. 
Yeah, he probably knows a little bit more. Like he's he's obviously not one of Mustang's men, but we do see in a lot of the episodes that at least he's an ally at some level. So, you know, I, I'm kind of curious what's going to wind up happening here. I also am wondering about Azumi and her and the Fuhrer and what's going to go on. Cause he, he asked her to join the military and she kind of downplays herself being like, Oh, I'm just a housewife. I'm not that strong of a person. Why would the military want me to join? And she declines his offer. And then he says, I'll be watching you or I'll come back. And I hope that you've had a change of heart. So I wonder if he knows more about her than she thinks he knows, if that makes sense. I absolutely believe that because like we see when he is commuting or having a conversation with the other homunculi, he mentioned something about the Elric brothers being a great sacrifice or a human sacrifice. We don't know what that means yet, but it's clear that they are looking for a specific type of alchemist. My guess, based on the fact that they reached out to Izumi and they liked the Elric brothers, it must have something to do with them having opened the gate before. But we'll see. Like I, the, Clearly, they are looking for a specific type of alchemist to do whatever this human sacrifice thing is. Do you think the Fuhrer was there because of greed or because of the brothers going to see Izumi? That's a good question and i still wonder about that because on one hand it just seems random for him to show up there and do you know and capture greed but at the same time like why did he wait until now to capture greed if if he knew that greed was there this whole time he could have gone at any time and picked him up and you know nobody would have been the wiser Now there's a bunch of witnesses, including the Elric brothers and whatnot. So I kind of feel like he went down there for another reason, like maybe to meet Azumi or something, and maybe decided, well, while I'm here, I'm going to go ahead and take care of this greed problem too. Yeah, it just all seems too of a coincidence that he's there. This is The brothers have been taken by greed. But then he doesn't know that they were kidnapped by greed. He thinks that it was some kind of arranged meetup for information. Yeah, that's true, too. It's also possible. So it seems like they're very interested in protecting their sacrifices. It's possible that there's just people who have eyes and ears on the Elric brothers, amongst other interesting um other interesting alchemists in the country and they saw that something was up with the Elric brothers so that caused the fear to show up at the same time I you know it's not like they have teleporters or anything it looks like they still travel by train and whatnot so they wouldn't have necessarily been able to get there in that kind of time yeah this was kind this was like a very we unopened a lot of of things in this episode, we found out the the fear is actually a homunculi. We kind of, we see their father in this. Uh, Al learns Al gets his memories back, which is interesting. 
Because uh, I feel like Al got his memories back, yeah. but it doesn't. It doesn't seem like I don't know. Now I don't. I'll bring this up in the next episode because I was gonna say something about the next episode. But we do see Al gets his memories back. Which do you think it was triggered by the blood getting on his seal? That's what they strongly hint at because that's when, like that's the last thing we see before he kind of has that flashback. So I definitely think that there is some kind of tie in there. And it looked like Truth took on more of his form because I, I guess his whole body was sacrificed. So it would go, but it almost looked like Truth was going to become a full copy of, of Al. Yep. Yeah, it seems like Truth like takes on whatever, whatever it is he stole from somebody. So I'm I'm curious to see if that's gonna come into play later. Like, are we going to run into someone that looks exactly like Al did at that time? Because and that's Truth, kind of in our world. I I don't know. Now I'm just kind of throwing darts at the wall and seeing what happens. But I was worried because the blood gets on his seal and I was worried that she was going to fuse with his body somehow. Like blood on top of the other blood was going to, there's going to be two people trapped in that armor. That would definitely suck. Then that's like being, that's like being super generous about that. (laughs) I guess on that note, unless you have any other thoughts, you can jump straight into the next episode. No, no more thoughts, Marty. Cool. Well, this is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, one, well, a lot of episodes are my favorite episodes, but I like this episode because we start to learn, uh, meet new characters. So let's jump into episode 15, Envoy from the East. So... We are now in the kind of starting a new season. Technically, we are in season two, but that the previous episode was just kind of wrapping up what we saw in season one. So Scar is at it again. He's killing Alchemist. We see him taking on the Silver Alchemist, who is a very crafty fighter, very interesting fighter, but ultimately he loses his fight to Scar. Yoki is now traveling with Scar, For whatever reason, it's not really clear as to why, but he is. Yoki finds a little girl named Mei Chang. Apparently, she was passed out from a long trek or whatever. And so he, you know, lets her hang out for a while while she recovers. Scar is not thrilled to have her around. However, Scar notices that she has a special skill called Alkahestry, which is similar to alchemy, but it's not. And we'll get into that a little later. She uses her alkahestry to heal Scar from a wound that he had from the battle. And he men- she mentions that it is a Xingyi's technique, so it's from the country of Xing. Mei Chang mentions that she crossed the desert because she wants to learn about alchemy, since alchemy has the possibility of unlocking the secrets to immortality. She is really looking forward to meeting El- Edward Elric one day, too. Scar just kind of relents and says, okay, fine, you can follow. We then meet up with Riza Hawkeye, who's walking through the street at night after presumably grocery shopping. Barry the Chopper shows up and threatens to kill her, but of course, Riza Hawkeye, being Riza Hawkeye, is able to handle herself just fine and does quick 
uh, does away quickly with Barry the Chopper, or well, as much as she can, he is just a suit of armor. And he decides to reveal that to her because he figures, oh, this will freak her out and that will give me a, an opening to attack her. Obviously, she's unfazed because she says, I already know somebody with a body like that. And he drops Alphonse's name, which surprises her that he, he knows who Alphonse is. So they bring him over to speak with Mustang in like a warehouse or something, someplace where there's probably no one prying in. And he spill, spills everything he knows about the uh, everything he knows about the fifth laboratory that it was used to create philosopher's stones. The researchers who created the philosopher's stones are the same people who attached his soul to the suit of armor. But unfortunately, those researchers no longer exist because they were sacrificed to create philosopher's stones. So there is apparently something super deep going on. It has to involve the senior military. Now Mustang kind of has some kind of leads as to what's going on in the country. Something that he can work for. So that kind of leaves us with Mustang and where they're at. Now let's catch up with the brothers. The brothers return to Rush Valley to get some repairs because with their last fight with Greed, Al's arm well, took quite a beating. She is, uh, she being Winry, Winry is able to repair his armor, kind of patch it up, but she needs to get more parts to do a proper repair. So the brothers decide to just hang out in Rush Valley for a while, where they stumble upon a man named Ling. Ling is passed out in the street, so they buy him some food. He mentions that he came from Jing to find the secrets to immortality to learn more about alchemy. And as a result, he gets the interest of the brother. He mentions, hey, I know what Alcahestry is, but I'm not an Alcahestrist myself. When the brother, when uh, Ling mentions that he's interested in learning more about the Philosopher's Stone, that gets the brother's attention, but obviously the brother doesn't want to tell him anything about it because of how a Philosopher's Stone's made. Ling suspects that he knows more than he's letting on, so his guards attack Ed and Al. And it's a pretty interesting fight. The The brothers are definitely doing a lot to, to try to keep themselves safe. Uh, but the fight ultimately seems to come to a standstill. The brothers are able to capture or hold down their, uh, their opponents. There's two guards. But ultimately, they wind up escaping. And also, the brothers wind up destroying a good portion of the city while they fight. Alphonse reveals that he now is able to do clapping transmutations. So we use this as alchemy to repair all the damage they did. They head back to the auto mill shop where Winry works. And little do they know, they run into Ling. Ling explains what he's up to. You see, in Xing, Ling is a prince. The Emperor has 43 kids, and each of one of them uh, is from a different clan. There's actually 50 clans that make up Xing. Well, it makes the, the issue of succession very interesting when there's 43 children. So what they decided to do is whoever can find the answer to immortality will become the next Emperor. And so that is why Ling is in a mistress right now. 
Well, now Winry comes back. She's a little upset. Well, more than a little upset to find out that Ed has broken her arm again. Her handiwork has been broken by Ed. So she does her beating Ed over the head thing, repairs his arm. Ed mentions, hey, we're going to head back to Central now. Winry decides to come in tow. And, of course, Ling and his gang follow along. And that ends that episode. And there are a lot of things to talk about, but I'll let you go first. Let's see what you think. My first thought is that Maze Panda is the best thing. And I want more of it. Maybe even a spinoff. So that's one of my first initial thoughts. My other thing is how we meet some of these alchemists that Scar ends up killing, and I, I kind of want to know more about them. We meet the Silver Alchemist before the credits start, and well, I, I've nicknamed him Monopoly Man, and I, I want to know more about Monopoly Man, and we're, we're not going to get to learn more about him because Scar is taking him out in Scar fashion. So those, that was, those are two of my first thoughts on the episode. Yeah, it is very, I, I agree, he did look exactly like the Monopoly Man, and there's that whole kind of spinning like an umbrella thing that he did to fight that was very interesting, and yeah, they, they, they do kill him off too quickly, we never actually get to know more about them, he apparently, I guess he's called the Silver Alchemist, because he seems to be able to transmute silver when he's fighting into different weapons. But yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, and we just these guys show up for a few scenes and are killed by scars. Kind of sucks. I would like to see like a, an episode where they kind of go through their backstory and we get to know a little bit about how they tick. But eh, whatever, maybe that'll happen. Maybe that won't. Uh, the big thing that I see here is the introduction. The well, there's two big things that I saw here, and they kind of go hand in hand. And it's the introduction of the country of Xing in the introduction of Alkahestry. Now, one thing I picked up on when I was watching all the talk about Xing and then looking at how the uh, residents of Xing are Xingyi, granted, we only see four. We see Mei Chang, we see Ling Yao, then Ling Yao's guards, Lan Fan, and Fu. But as you can tell by the way their names sound and the way they look, the Xing is clearly like some kind of amalgam of China with some Japanese uh, sprinkled in it because the warriors kind of look more similar to ninjas, which really, I guess, wouldn't be a super China thing. But everything else they talk about seems to be very similar to what we would see in China. And then I think that kind of flows into the alchemy thing. Alchemy seems to be very similar to alchemy, but its uses are different. So... We see May draw like what looks like a transmutation circle to heal Scar, but she mentions that it is part of like the dragon pulse or something to that effect. This kind of circle of life energy key thing. Uh, they don't really dive into it much this episode, but they kind of drop hints. But on top of that, they mention that it's used mainly for medicinal. Then Ed mentions, oh, alchemy here in Amestris is used mainly for military purposes. So I kind of, I might be de digging too deep into it, but I feel like this is a East versus West thing. So the uh, Alcastry kind of follows uh, Eastern philosophy, 
mindset, whereas the uh, the alchemy follows more of a Western mindset. Uh, it's kind of one of the f- few things that I kind of picked up on. It definitely looks like it is like, as you say, an East and West thing. I kind of got the feel of like Alka history is more of a, I don't know. It looks, it feels like more of a, a spiritual kind of thing. They're like, we only use it to heal people. And it is like a medical thing. While Ed is talking about how we weaponize this, this, um, I form of science in a sense so it feels over there in uh, Jing it's more of a more of like a ah, this is hard to say like more of a spiritual kind of thing versus the science over here even though alchemy is both ways of science Uh, that's at least the sense I'm getting I agree it definitely does seem more spiritual than hard science and that's kind of part of the East and West thing. And they do talk about things like the dragon's pulse and key and, you know, very typical things you hear when people talk about Eastern philosophy. So that was very interesting. And also a little kind of tidbit that they drop. They mention, Ed kind of goes a little bit about the military history or the history of the country of a and how they're kind of surrounded by enemies. So there's a desert to the east, and then once you cross that desert, you reach Xing. So that kind of also, when you think about it really quickly, that's also kind of Europe when you think about that. So if you think of Amestris as being, say, Germany, and then you cross through the desert, so Middle Eastern-type countries or Western Asia countries, and then now you're in Xing or you're in China. And then they mention a massive country called Drachma in the north. Like, that would... Yeah, with the name Drachma, I would assume Greece, maybe Greece or something, but, uh, you know, it might be something else. And they talk about Krita, which that one also makes me think of Crete or, or Greece. And then I forget the other country, but they're talking about how they all are enemies and they're surrounding them. And there's like a very paper thin relationship between Drachma and Amestris. And, you know, they could go to war at any time and... The since the Fuhrer, the new Fuhrer has taken over, the country's become more militaristic. So there's there's a lot of uh, lot to unpack there about what's going on in the world that's being explained in this episode. Yeah, it just I do want to learn more about Alka history. Uh, I wonder why they call it that, or is it just maybe two different dialects? Because they know what alchemy is. Because May does say she knows what alchemy is, but she calls what she does alchestry. So I don't know. They yeah they seem to they seem to talk about it like it was two different things. Yeah, it does. It does seem maybe it is just like two different branches of the same kind of form of science that it all stands for one place, but here are two different uses for it. Or they're more specialized, I guess. Probably. I am excited for May because May is looking for Ed because uh, she does bring it up to Scar and Yokai that she is looking for this uh, this famous alchemist that wears this red coat. And as she's ex- explaining this, we get 
her thought of what Edward looks like. And I'm excited for her to actually meet him because she's probably she's dreaming a little bigger than he actually is. And I guess the that wasn't supposed to be a tall joke, but or short joke. I was going to say that that was a perfect uh, joke to make fun of El- Edward Elric, saying that he's small. But yeah, so I'm excited to see uh, her meet him. And it seems like it's happening because at the end of this episode, everyone's path seems to be going to the same place. Yes, indeed. I think that is what's going to happen at some point. Is they're going to converge. And it seems like May, May, May Chang mentions coming from Xing, looking for some immortality thing. So it seems like she's on the same on the same path as them as well. And, you know, he mentions that there's 43 children of the emperor and he in uh, Ling mentions that he's one of them. So it's very possible that May Chang is another one. Which is interesting because she knows how to use alchemy, and he doesn't. He says he's twelfth, the twelfth child. So there's a whole bunch down there from his spot. So definitely, I definitely got that vibe after he revealed that he is a prince, and that's why he's looking for immortality. But he has guards, and she has no one, which is which. Makes I'm guessing if he is the 12th he's probably higher priority he definitely looks like he's older than Mei Chang too so who knows maybe she's I don't know the 38th or something or the, the 40th and because she's so young and whatnot or maybe she's from a poor clan or you know like the district 12 of clans uh maybe they just don't give her much and she just decided to do it all on her own who knows I also found it interesting when they're talking about uh, to bury the chopper, which I'm in, I enjoy his character, but when you really think about it, he's this like crazed serial killer, which makes it hard to enjoy him. His personality is just so engaging, but he brings up that there are no scientists left to question because they've been all turned into philosopher zones. Do you think Marco had something to do with it? Thinking back a few episodes back. Because Marco had a Philosopher's Stone. So do you think he had something to do with turning all the scientists into them? You know, I was thinking that, but it just doesn't seem in his character. Like, I know he created a Philosopher's Stone, but seeing as how much he absolutely hated it and hated the whole process and is remorseful i don't know if he would have gone as far as to 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 turn his own people into a philosopher's stone but then again maybe that is why he is very remorseful maybe that maybe because he did create that it is interesting it's kind of like we're getting rid of everyone who knows anything about this but to in doing that there has to be one person left so I'm wondering who that person is. That's true. Maybe somebody got all the information they needed and just killed them and said, okay, well, we're done. And I, I want to see more Mustang's team. Uh, I like who he put together. They all seem interesting. And we kind of get to see a couple of them interrogating Barry the Chopper. 
So I'm very curious to see like his team more in action. I agree. They they clearly there's a reason why Mustang trusts them other than them just being reliable soldiers. Like they they have a history. You can tell they have a history. So there's got to be some military background or some really awesome skills that they have that we are yet to see. And then was it Yoke Yoki or Yokai? So Yokai what's his deal? Like what's the story? He was a a state alchemist or a, a military person and now he's kind of working with Scar. Scar hasn't gotten any revenge on him. There has to be some other reason why Scar is allowing him to just to, to like work with him. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, I'm thinking, well, maybe he just pities him. But this doesn't seem like it's in Scar's personality, if you will. So I'm not sure. Like, what does Scar have to gain by having him in the list or having him follow around? Yeah, I don't think Scar pities anyone because he was going to kill Edward without any, like, not even knowing who he was. And Edward's a a child compared to other uh, state alchemists. So I don't think uh, there's something there that is keeping them together. There's some some strand, and I want to find out what that is. Yeah, I'm thinking, well, I'm hoping that the future episodes will show it, because otherwise it just doesn't make sense. Like, they they have nothing in common at all, so I have no idea why they're hanging out. A part of me is hoping that, and I do hate filler episodes, but I would love a filler episode of Scar and Yokai, just like a day in their travels. Nothing, Scar's not killing anyone, he's not hunting anyone, it's just like a day in their life. I would love that. That would be pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. Just them doing casual things, like not even anything super interesting, but still we get to see them day in the life kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that points to how good this anime is that there's a whole bunch of characters that I wouldn't mind a filler episode of a day in their lives that would genuinely entertain me and that speaks to how much how good the development of all these characters are yes 100 like we nobody seems wasted nobody seems like purely there for comic relief or anything like that like all the characters seem to have a place in the show which is great yeah i just i'm excited to see i'm loving that we we got two new characters this episode that are that seem to be sticking along. They both attach themselves to people in two different groups. So I'm hoping to see like where these characters lead us and how they kind of change what's going on. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm hoping to see what happens. I'm hoping to see what happens now that kind of like in this past few episodes, we've learned more about the villains. We've learned more about the larger world. We've kind of learned more about the how the military and the government's tied into everything. So now I'm feeling like, okay, let's get deeper. So I'm hoping with these future episodes we see even more. 
Yeah, I'm kind of not looking forward to next week's episode or the next episode just because how we end this last one, which is Winry tagging along with the brothers and and Ling tagging along as well. But she her main reason to go back to Central is to see the Hughes family. Yes. And this is going to hurt once they get to Central. Because it's like everyone's coming back and we're all going to find out. And this is the moment we talked about when Hughes passed away a few episodes back. Of them, we're going to have to relive this through their eyes now. Yes, there's no way they can hang out around Central for long without learning of what happened. Yeah, I feel like the Hughes' house is going to be Winry's first stop she doesn't really have anywhere else to visit in central so oh it's gonna be heartbreaking to see their daughter oh i'm I'm not looking forward to this <laughs> that makes two of us but hey we have to uh we have to you know i mean let's let's see what winds up happening I hate a deal let's yep. let's hope it's not terrible but you know we'll i guess we'll see and I do want to pull out one thing. Cause so in the earlier episode, I mentioned, in one of our earlier episodes, I mentioned that at some point we will talk about our favorite song from Fullmetal Alchemist. I just have to go ahead and say that Let It All Out, the ending song by Miho Fukushima, I believe, that is hands down my favorite song on the Fullmetal Alchemist soundtrack. Oh, really? Over the opening song of uh, the season one? 100%. I'm digging all this music, and I'm, I'm loving the change. It kind of threw me off that we didn't get it last, uh, the first episode of the season, which made me think, oh, are we going to stick with the same opening ending song? But I'm definitely digging the change. I'm not feeling as pumped up as I was, but nothing's nothing's dragging me if that makes sense yeah that makes sense i mean there nothing really does seem to be dragging yet which is nice but yeah this is hands down my favorite i I know we're gonna have a lot more songs coming up but you will never hear me say that i do not like this one oh definitely all the songs all the four songs we've heard uh so far i wouldn't mind on a car like car drive playlist these would not I could drive up to wherever and have these songs playing and would not get tired. Yes, they do everything right with this anime, including the soundtrack. Which you can't really say that about a lot of other things, which is great. Like They even get the soundtrack down. Oh yeah, the music is really is really good. And I, I love that about a lot of animes that we kind of get these really cool produced songs and and to go with whatever the opening animations, because they're they're almost more than credits. They they're giving us extra story. Absolutely, they are. Cool. I don't have anything else. What about you? Uh, no. Oh, the only thing I did notice was that I didn't know that this anime was a Square Enix production. And now I'm hoping I'm going to be searching for a video game because I love Final Fantasy, which is by Square Enix. So 
I'm hoping they made a Full Metal Alchemist game in the same kind of style. Uh, they, so I'll be looking for that. They did. There are actually, I believe, two from the early 2000s on PlayStation 2. So good luck finding them. Uh, but they are they do exist. Oh, man. I hope they put them digital. Maybe I can download them. Well, maybe PS5 will bring them back. Hopefully. Let's, let's, let's start a petition. Let's get it. Let's start a petition to get that game back. Yes. I'll be the first to sign. Perfect. Cool. Well, I guess that's all we have for now. Let's continue next week and see what everybody's doing in Central. As always, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye.